welcome to the Inner Success Story podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Wilson, and I help established career-driven women to break through the negative inner dialogue and finally feel like they're good enough. My mission is to ensure that more women enjoy their career, step up to higher roles, and in doing so, hold the ladder to allow other women to climb with them. I grew up with an inner dialogue of I'm not good enough, and this impacted really negatively on how I was living my life. I started my personal development journey and everything changed for me. Now I want to support you to do the same. Each week I'll be uncovering the truth about mastering your mindset and there will be some surprises and perspectives you might not have considered before. Just to give you a bit of warning, I'm super passionate about this and that might mean sometimes I swear. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you are well and welcome to the Inner Success Story. This is the first episode in a season of 12 uh, that will allow you to explore imposter syndrome with me and all of the things that are attached to it. So let's dive straight on in. I'm Sarah Wilson and I'm a leadership coach and imposter syndrome is absolutely my passion as a subject. And today I'm going to be taking you through what imposter syndrome is, what the impact of it is, why we have imposter syndrome, and what happens when we hyper-focus on our flaws and what we can do. So let's dive straight on in. I'm very excited. So first of all, imposter syndrome is significantly more common than people think about. In doing this kind of work, I have realized how many people actually struggle with it. And also that it is not just for people who are sort of lower down and have just started to move through their career progression. My research and my experience shows me that you can struggle with imposter syndrome no matter what your level is, no matter how many promotions you've had in your time, imposter syndrome is still there. And I know from doing polls on LinkedIn that, you know, it can be every level from directors to partners to business owners. Anybody can struggle with this. So this is not specifically a problem just for you. There are loads and loads of people that are experiencing it too. And I just want to make sure that you understand that in experiencing this, that you are not alone. Your perception is likely to be that nobody else in your office, nobody else in your workspace is struggling with the same thing. But I can promise you that that is absolutely not the case, that there will be other people surrounding you. Like if you are listening to this in the office, just take a little look around. There'll be other people who are struggling with it as well. But it is just a perception. It isn't necessarily true or real. It's just your perception of the situation. And of course, when you're thinking about how you feel about a certain thing, what your beliefs are, you will stick true to that. You will decide that that is absolutely true, 100% true for you. Take a moment, though, because actually... Imposter syndrome means that you've put yourself out of your out of your comfort zone. And that is something to be really celebrated because there are lots of people who won't do that. They will tell themselves that they can't get that next progression, that they can't take that next step up the ladder. So if you are struggling with imposter syndrome, it means that you have stepped out of your comfort zone and stepping out of your comfort zone is a key thing to making sure that you get to progress. Sometimes, though, if we step too far out of our comfort zone, what will end up happening is you actually step into fear and you continue to evidence that your story inside, which I'll talk about in a minute, you continue to evidence that your story is real, that your story is true, that you are not worthy. And that is simply not the case. 
So if you are struggling with imposter syndrome, just take a moment to go, I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone and I just need to find a way to make sure that I'm not stepping into fear as far as I am at the moment. And that's something that I can help with. So in terms of this fear, it's a collection of things that you have taken as evidence. So most people's underlying story in a roundabout way for imposter syndrome is I am not good enough. I am not worthy. I don't deserve this. So those three statements usually are the underpinning of whatever belief is going on when you feel that you've got imposter syndrome. And you feel things like somebody's going to work out that I can't do this. Somebody is going to work out that they've made the wrong hiring decision. Somebody is going to work out that this key part of my job I can't do, I can't learn to do, and really that is going to be something negative. I'm going to be found out. And the amount of fear and anxiety that you live through whilst you're going through that, it really does make an impact on how much you can enjoy your life. And when I say life, I don't just mean your career or your job. It takes up so much space. Like it should be paying rent for the amount of space that it's taking up in your head, for the impact it's having on a day-to-day basis on you. It's so all-encompassing when you feel that way, that actually what happens is your Monday to Friday week bleeds into Friday night. You might be able to forget it Saturday. And on Sunday, when you're you're getting ready for work again, it's just, you know, just pumping itself back up there again. And actually half your Sunday is gone by the fact it's taking up so much of your time. It's fear-based catastrophizing. And it's valid that you feel that way. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's factual. So a cycle starts, a cycle of self-doubt, and you will take any bit of evidence. You are very keen. And when I say you, I mean, human beings are very keen on proving themselves right, especially if that is a negative thing. We don't want to prove ourselves wrong. That's not what it's about. What we want to do is we want to say, oh, when I miss, um, maybe you stuttered in a meeting oh, can I suddenly not talk in meetings anymore? And then it gets worse and worse and worse and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you get some feedback from your boss that whilst you'd submitted an idea, they've decided not to go with it. Oh, maybe the idea wasn't very good. Maybe maybe I'm losing my touch or maybe I've not got enough experience to be making these decisions yet. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And you're constantly bigging up this massive, massive deal when actually it doesn't need to be at all. So you start questioning yourself. And when you start questioning yourself, at some point you're going to go, all these questions, maybe I can't do it. Maybe this isn't the right thing for me. Maybe I I shouldn't be doing this thing. And that's then going to impact on your well-being. Henry Ford very famously said, whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And most people being successful have either gone through a period of this feeling and worked through it, or they've kept going. Every time there's a belief, they will go, no, that's not healthy or helpful to me. I believe I can. I believe that I can learn this. I believe that I can improve. I believe that I deserve this. And that's why sometimes you look at other people and you think, I've got more knowledge than they have. Why are they being successful? But I'm not. Why am I struggling? And it is all about that inner belief. And it spreads. It spreads to your well-being. So your well-being starts to suffer because you're not winding down at the end of the day. 
you're not pressing the reset button so that you are healing. You're not sleeping properly. And how much bigger does a problem feel if you are not able to see to, to sleep properly? You know, everything seems much bigger when you're overtired. And if you just even lose an hour's sleep a night each day, that over a time, that's a whole night's sleep just in a week. And that's going to have an impact. And then your mental well-being impacts on your physical well-being and your immunity goes down and you start getting colds or you start being off sick for other things. And then that accumulates. Can you see where this goes? You know, you create this whole cycle of behaviours that really impact on your ability to enjoy your life, not just your work, but your whole life, your relationships. You start to get snappy and irritable. You um, are overtired all the time. You don't have the energy or the motivation to do things. So imposter syndrome getting out of control is actually a really key factor into the amount of time that you might spend off sick or the amount of anxiety that you might be experiencing. And if we never press the, the, the reset button for anxiety, then constantly you've got this cortisol going through your body, which is not something that we need. And the word disease comes from dis-ease in your mind causing physiological symptoms. So they could be things like pain, migraines, anxiety, um, which then manifests itself maybe in some sort of irritable bowel syndrome, you know, such such a big thing, such a big impact. And if you don't have the ability to work through that, if you need additional skills and support to work through that, then that's exactly what I'm here for. Otherwise, what might happen is you decide you can't progress any further than you are. You might even say, I can't cope with this level of anxiety on a day-to-day basis. So actually, I'm going to give up my job. Or I can't do my job as well as I might be able to. So actually, I now end up being in this job for the next seven, eight, nine years because everybody else is being progressed alongside me, but I'm not getting in there with them. So then again, feeds the self-doubt and it becomes a massive cycle. So let's talk about why you get it. So we have two main parts of our mind. The psychology is much more deep than that, but just for the sake of simplicity, you have your conscious mind, which are all of your thoughts that you are aware of. Um, And sometimes things can be brought into your awareness. So, for example, my cat's been sitting on the windowsill for absolutely ages, but he's just moved to um, look at a bird in the garden or assume a bird in the garden. Um, And then I'm aware of him because he's been brought into my conscious mind. Um, And, you know, it's all of the things like when you're learning and you're thinking about what you're doing, that's your conscious mind. Whenever you are consciously aware of something. So not learned things like driving, for example, when you've learned to drive, you don't constantly think, right, I put my hands here on the wheel and now I am changing gear and now I am indicating and now I'm looking in my mirror. Those all happen in your unconscious mind because they are learned behaviours. So that just gives you an example. So the unconscious mind is the bit that is just running the show. It's running the show without you having to be consciously aware of it. And that's one of the most important things to remember. It's not what you're consciously thinking that is causing you a problem. It's what your unconscious mind is then doing with it. So any conscious thought that you have. So if you catch yourself going, I can't do this. I'm going to fail at this. This isn't going to work. Your unconscious mind will take that and go, oh, let's play that 10,000 times on extended play. 
And that's what, you know, is really causing the damage underneath. But the unconscious mind isn't malicious. It isn't trying to catch you out. It is simply trying to keep you safe. That's all it wants to do. It just wants to keep you safe. And keeping you safe means don't stick your head above the parapet. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're uncomfortable at all, not even in the stretch zone, which helps you to learn. It just wants you in your normality, the normality that is created for you. It wants you to stick around in there. And your unconscious mind, other people will call it the inner critic. Don't even get me started on that. I don't believe in inner critic. Think of it this way instead. I'd like to give you a different perspective, just in case you haven't heard it before, but I'd really like you to focus on how this might work for you. Your unconscious mind is your inner child. So if you think about all the things that you're telling yourself, now make that come from a five-year-old child that you like, a younger version of you, your favourite nephew, your favourite niece, whoever it is. As soon as you start to think about the fact that these thought processes are coming from a child, they don't seem quite as big. They don't seem quite as as, um, true. They don't seem quite as factual. So if you've got a five-year-old child going, you can't do that, we can't do that, that's too scary, then your immediate response to that, and and it's very important that you like this child, what you're then going to do is be like, no, sweetheart, this is the situation. We're going to be absolutely fine. We can do this. And if we do this, then we'll feel so great about it. And if we do this, then we will get this reward for it. We're very reward-based and your inner child is equally reward-based. Mine particularly likes Victoria's sponge cake. So he or she is not emotionally intelligent to really make decisions about what is happening. They're just not in that place and never will be. You will always have an inner child and no matter how much you nurture that inner child, what you're going for is that she or he is contented, that she or he is quiet, that she or he is quite happy just playing around, but not not impacting and leading your life to the extent that they are at the moment. And it's all about the past beliefs that are, are brought down to us. So, for example, when my little girl was really young, she would take about three seconds with a felt tip and a piece of paper and she would scribble on this piece of paper. And I would then say to her, that's a gorgeous picture. Tell me about your picture and what you've drawn. And she would explain something about it or she'd look at me like I was mad and say it's a scribble. Anyway, so, but as time went on, she started to criticise what she was doing. So she would start to draw beautiful pictures that were really recognisable about what they are and, you know, and what have you. She wouldn't necessarily put tonnes and tonnes of work into it, but it was a really good effort from an eight-year-old and what have you. And then she would, I would say, oh, that's amazing. You've done a really good job there. I can completely, like she did this girl on a swing at one point. She got the hair streaming out behind her. It looked amazing. So I said, oh, that's really good. You've done an excellent job. And she's like, well, I've got this bit wrong and I've got that bit wrong. And we had always, always nurtured our children's well-being, nurtured our children's um, thoughts and feelings about themselves, their self-worth, their self-esteem. And that was really important to us. But she was learning to criticise herself through things like school or, um, you know, her peers and things like that. And it's just so sad. So sometimes we don't even know exactly what the source is. And sometimes the source is really clear. So if you had a parent, for example, who was like, 
we're not arrogant, we're not conceited, we don't talk about ourselves, we don't feel proud of ourselves, you don't want to get too big for your boots. If you were hearing those kinds of things as a child, that became your normality, that became what you then had as thought processes from as early as age seven. So then what ends up happening is that you can, your unconscious mind is then playing that. And as soon as you try to feel a little bit proud of yourself or you think, yeah, I did a good job there, immediately your unconscious mind or inner child is going, but we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do being proud of ourselves. We don't do being conceited or we wouldn't want people to think we're arrogant. And already she's playing in or he's playing into this whole thing of stay safe, stay small, don't put yourself out there, don't put yourself out for judgment and don't be conceited and don't be arrogant and all of these rules, but they're just coming from a little child. It's not really up to her her, what the rules are or him what the rules are. It's up to you. It's up to you to decide what those rules are and to calm and reassure them at all times. So what ends up happening is we become hyper-focused on our flaws. Like if I say to a client, tell me all the amazing things about yourself, I'll end up having this stuttered conversation where they can't really think of things. And I'm giving them sort of things to to prompt them, like what would your friends say about you or what are you good at or where are your passions? Um, But when it comes down to it, they really struggle with that. If you say to them, what would you like to drop from your personality? What personality traits do you not like? What things would you like to leave behind? They can reel off a list. There's no stuttering. Most of us are much better at focusing on our flaws for all of the reasons that I've talked about, for all of those things where actually we don't want to be conceited and arrogant, but we're happy to focus on the things that keep us small. We're happy to focus on the things that we don't like. And that is significantly easier for us. So we become a bit obsessed with our flaws, really. And because we're focusing on them, what you focus on grows. What you focus on in that moment is getting bigger and bigger. So if you're focusing on the fact that you have anxiety or you are an anxious person, you're just going to perpetrate that even more. You're going to be that person even more. So if you are struggling with anxiety, let's just utilize that as a um, as an example what you might say is, OK, so instead of being anxious, I want to be calm. But I don't believe I am calm. You could instead say things like I'm working through my anxiety with a view to becoming calm. And that's you then working towards something, moving towards something and fixating on what you're moving towards is so much healthier than what you're moving away from. So I'd love you to spend some time journaling on this. Why shouldn't you be proud of your achievements? Why shouldn't you be proud of the things that you've done? Why shouldn't you give yourself a pat on the back when you've done something particularly well? Why shouldn't you reward yourself when you've just done a piece of work that you didn't want to do? We should be doing all of those things. We should be boosting ourselves up. You know, the way we talk to ourselves, we wouldn't talk to a friend like it. You wouldn't be you know, so damning of a friend, you'd be encouraging, you'd be nurturing. And honestly, the first step to any of my clients' work is self-compassion. The first step is always going to be be nicer to yourself, be kinder to yourself, pick up that language you're using, because you might only say something negative consciously to yourself once a day, 10 times a day. Your brain's 10,000-ing that. You know, there there isn't a limit as to what they're telling themselves. And that is nurturing who you're becoming as a person. And if that's if that's not positive, then that's going to really, really impact on you. 
I'd really just like you to think of some certain key points from today. I'd really like you to think about what if all of this is coming from my inner child? How can I deal with that differently instead of believing in it to the extent that I do? Because your inner child, don't forget, a five-year-old child that you like, maybe you, maybe somebody else that, you know, somebody else's child that you know, your own child, whoever. But what happens if you start to treat those, those pieces of information that are coming through? What if you start to treat them like they're coming from a five-year-old child? What does that change for you? For me, it was a massive game changer and I'd love you to have a go. So start questioning your imposter syndrome. Start seeing it for what it is, which is a perception based on fear and catastrophizing from a young child and see what that changes for you. I can't wait to join you again next week. Lots of love to you all. And if you want to reach out to me, please do send me a DM or comment um, in the uh, comments below and I will reach back out to you. Thank you so, so much for joining me on this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you loved it, please make sure that you share it with your friends and anybody else you think would benefit and also make sure you've clicked the follow button. It would be amazing if you could leave me a five-star review so the world gets out to as many amazing women as possible. If you want to know more about me and my offers, then you'll find the links in the show notes. So until next week, go and explore some of the themes I've talked about today and try things out for yourself. I'd also love to hear more how it helped you, so drop me a message using the link in the show notes. And remember, whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right.